0: And for, for us, that, that can have a few different meanings. Obviously, one is just to sit down and share in, in communion where we break bread and we drink, you know, Baptist wine. And, um, but I think sometimes also uh, we're in moments where we are rich with the presence of Christ. And we're in one of those moments right now where we just sit down at the table together with him and ask him to sort out his scripture among us. And ask him to, more importantly, as Philippians, the second chapter, if you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn to the the third chapter of the book of Philippians. We are walking um, verse by verse and chapter by chapter through this um, letter of Paul. And in the second chapter, in verse 12, he said, Look, I'm here and I will move within you to work out your salvation and it's going to be something that is awesome varying translations use words like fear and trembling awesome and the glory of God there will be an altar there will be a table and there will be Jesus and my spirit will work within you and it's this outworking of the inworking of the spirit of God and I will draw you into this willful act for the glory of my goodness and the purposes of my name and so if you would join me at the table with Jesus I would like to deflect as much as possible from um, a pastor this morning and just move us as much as possible to sit with Christ much as Paul did and read scripture and talk about it I truly believe that the next three weeks, because next week we're going to dedicate children and talk about family. And it's going to be robust and beautiful. But uh, for the next two weeks, the f- one week or two weeks from now, we're going to unpack what Paul is wrestling with. And in fact, in chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, he kind of says this. I want to know him. And I think it's important. He says, this is my goal is to know Jesus. Not just to know Jesus, but the power of His resurrection. Can we just pause and reflect back? The resurrected resurrected King is resurrecting you and me. We've already been at His table. Can we sit in Scripture now and say to Jesus, I want to know you. And I really do want to not bypass a song by our worship team that may have been new to me, but I want to sit down with you, Jesus, at the table and ask you as the resurrected king, will you resurrect me right now? Will you move in power within me? And will your spirit draw out of me what you so long to see experienced by me? God, work within me to will and act to your good pleasure and your purpose. I want to join you in the fellowship of the sufferings. I want to be conformed to you and your death, assuming that by your grace, somehow I will reach the resurrection from the dead. And then he says in verse 12, I'm not there. You may identify with that. I am fully not at this point. I think it would be an honest moment with Jesus for us to sit down and join with Paul and say, face to face with you at this table, Lord, I am not there. I have not reached this goal, nor am I already perfect. But here's what I am doing. I am making every effort to take hold of that which has already taken hold of me. In other words, my whole heart and my life and mind and spirit has been captured by Jesus. And so I am pursuing with intentionality that which has already taken hold of me. Paul would say this way to Timothy. He would say, I want you to strain with all you have and train yourself in the pursuit of godliness. That's what he would be saying to Timothy as he says this even to himself and more importantly to Jesus. God, God I'm not there yet. I make every effort, I want to take hold of this because I have been taken hold of by Christ. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the promised, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. That's the essence of my calling and that's what i am pursuing with all of my heart i'm kind of a um i'm kind of a little bit of an endurance nerd in fact it's weird my watch just went off um i uh, i enjoy running i actually uh, coach cross country um you know our slogan on the back of our shirts are um your punishment is our plan you know, I, I coached cross-country for quite a few years in Crestview, Florida. And I uh, enjoyed getting out with the kids. Cynthia's roommate last weekend, um, we got to track her for like 15 hours and 32 minutes. And she just completed her first Ironman. And I was so amazed by this. If you can tell Krista right now, she gets like props from the pulpit over this. And this, I want you to understand is... As we sit with Paul at the table with Jesus, he's not saying, I'm kind of giving a little bit of effort here, I'll meet you in the middle, Jesus. Here's what he's saying: as an act of perpetual endurance, I am going to strain toward the goal of the upward prize of call, of the upward call of the prize of God in Christ Jesus. That will be the strain of my life. I will lean into this strain and I will pursue this with all the passion of my heart. So this is like a both and. Holy Spirit, come and resurrect me. The resurrected King, move in my life. And oh God, by the way, I am going to push toward you with everything I have. And somehow in this great holy mix, we are going to cross. And your Spirit is going to work within me. And I am going to train in godliness. And I am going to pursue this. And it's going to be beautiful. Um, the night I was laughing, just this this moment was like yesterday to me. And then I started to uh, remember it, and I looked it up throughout the week. And this was the 1992 Olympics. That still felt like yesterday to me. Anybody at all in that bucket with me? And that was 25 years ago this year. Humbling moment, sermon preparation. And so, um, but 1992, the Olympics. I saw this picture of straining, and it's. ...one of my favorite moments in endurance history... ...and there are dozens of these, several of them pretty gross... Um, I could tell some stuff about my neighbor now who runs high mileage. I could tell stories of bathroom adventures on high mileage runners. I will forfeit that right now, but they will pursue for the sake of endurance. I watched the 400 meter semifinal relay. It was a guy named Derek Redmond from Great Britain. This was the Barcelona Olympics and it was a prolific moment. In fact, I think the picture is on the screen right now and if it's not, it's rolling up there. Um, This is Derek Redmond. Derek was running, and this kind of gives away the ending already, but Derek was running in the 400 meter he crossed the last path of the straightway. he was he was definitively in the loop to go into the finals and he was definitively one of the favorites to win a medal and as he crosses into that last um, corner and is heading down the straightaway uh, his hamstring popped he hobbled for a few steps hit the ground laid there for quite a while then he got up and one of the most poignant moments in olympic history happened because he began to just hobble to the finish line by himself. They came to help him, he is pushing them away. And then, I don't know how this happened, this is probably pre-9-11, the only way it could happen. Because there was this heavy set man that came out of the stands and started running up the track. And he starts running to him, and you kind of catch him, and he... He moves up to him and he puts his arm around him and Derek pushes him away. He puts his arm around him again and pulls him close and he whispers into his ear and what we begin to put together for those of us watching this at this moment is his father is running up to him and saying these words, we will finish this together. And his son is weeping and said, Dad all of this work. And he says, son, we will run this endurance race together and I will finish with you. And they've had multiple interviews that this point, he has parlayed this into speaking of the goodness of God and the goodness of who he is. And Derek Redmond travels now saying, I can't tell you how powerful it was for my father to put his arm around me and say to me, We will finish this together. And I feel like that's Paul's perspective, sitting with the Lord, and he's saying to the Lord, I am hobbled. I am in prison, I am not there yet, I am struggling, I'm trying to sing these songs and worship and mean it, but the half of where I'm at is not there, I'm questioning so many things around me. And the Lord says the most powerful thing, the, the greatest promise in Scripture is not you are forgiven, although that's a great promise. The greatest promise in Scripture and in fact the dialogue throughout the entirety of the Scripture is not you will spend a glorious eternity with me. Although that is a great promise in Scripture. The dialogue of God throughout Scripture to man is this. And I will just demonstrate this for you over the next couple of minutes. The greatest dialogue when we sit down at the table with Jesus and we wrestle with our maturity in Him is this. I will be with you. When you are laying down on the concrete and everything you dreamed is in shambles on the ground, I will be with you. I will lift you up. And most likely this life... You're going to hobble toward the finish line and you're going to make your way. But I promise you this, I promise you I will be with you. Listen, I want to walk you through scripture and then share two to three things with you. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned and needed the gift of forgiveness, they were promised God's presence. They said this this description of him, it was a beautiful presence. He walked with them in the cool of the day. He was with them. The same promise came to Enoch, who is described in this way. He walked with God. That's another sermon for another day. I want to walk with God so much that I just go one day. People are going, where'd Siegel go? I don't know. If you have not read the story of Enoch, Google it right now. Ignore my preaching for the next five minutes. And just read of a guy who walked off of this earth in the fullness of God, just got lost in God. That's a great hope for us. I will be with you, Enoch. It was, it was this, I will be with you promise was made to Noah, to Abraham, to Sarah, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, to David, to Amos, to Mary, and to Paul, who's writing this letter. I will be with you. It's the reason that we have focus and we wrestle at the table with, with the Lord right now, much as Paul did. I'm not there yet, Jesus, but... I'm courageous enough to believe that with you in my presence, I can mobilize for the sake of your kingdom, God. I am weak, and yet in my weakness, your strength is perfected. And the Lord says words like this, Do not be terrified, Mark, for the Lord God will be with you wherever you go. If you go to the depths of Sheol, if you go to the places of death, I am with you. It kept us going in the darkness. It kept us fixated for Paul in the midst of a prison cell. He doesn't write these words when he's standing in a revival and the altar is full. And, um, you know, I'm blanking on his name, but he's standing behind singing, Just as I Am. Paul's writing these words about wrestling with the beauty and the wonder of God from a prison cell. And he is believing with all of his heart that the Lord is with him. I'm not there yet, Lord, but I am straining toward this. God provided Israel with a tabernacle, with the Ark of the Covenant, with manna, with the temple, with the pillar of fire in the, in the night, with the pillar of with the cloud in the day. He was communicating this. Don't forget this. I am with you. I'm here. I am present. When God incarnated him in the form of Jesus Christ, he said, Here comes. It's the Christmas name of Jesus. Emmanuel, what's that mean? He is with us. Glory to God in the highest. So when he incarnated himself, look, I want you to know, here I am. I am with you. And then he promises when Jesus says, here is the Holy Spirit, he was saying this, I will be with you to the end of the age and at the end of time when sin is distant and a defeat is come of sin and the grave. It will be sung in the heavenly realms. God's dwelling place is among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. He will be their God. God Himself will be with them. So 1,327,416 years from now, God will still be among us and we will still be singing of His holy wonders. God is with us. The unity of Scripture is found in this truth and this reality. I long to experience life with God. One of my favorite authors, and when when you see MCSV, it means I messed around with his sentence, but Dallas Willard wrote it this way. May we long to discover life with God as a reality on earth, centered in the person and the purposes of Jesus. Could that be the longing? It's the longing of Paul's heart in chapters 3, 10, chapter 3, 10 through 12. And he carries on and says, I'm not there, but God, sitting at this table, I long for this. I want to strain toward this. I want maturity in the midst of this. And then he begins to walk out where I want to walk with you. And here's. Here's, um, here's, here's reality. As the, the more I've studied, the more I've um, struggled with this text. And so um, I am freely welcoming the Holy Spirit to stir, as I sh- should and do hopefully every Sunday, to stir in your own heart and mind as He uniquely sees fit. Because every time I read one of these passages, I begin to flip the prism and it has another richer and more beautiful meaning for me. I think Paul begins to outline some practical thoughts about spiritual maturity in verses 15 through 21 of the third chapter of the book of Philippians. And I think in my mind, um, there's seven things that I would like to talk about, only two of which is today for you checking your clock. We'll come back to it in a week or two weeks from now. But there's, there, there's, To me, there's seven marks of a person who believes that God is with him, And more importantly, who is straining to take hold of what has already been taken hold of in Christ. I'm pursuing these things and this is what I long to be about. And if I believe that Jesus is with me and he's more beautifully in me as the hope of glory and there's this, this, this mash-up of Christ and me and me and Christ hidden with God and Jesus, I want to sit down at the table and I want to wrestle out some things with him. So if, if you would just read with me today verses four, 15 and then 16 and I want to share thoughts with you. And I think I would call these, I don't know, what I just wrote this out as demonstrated Christian maturity. Marks of a mature believer. In chapter 3, verse 15, he steps all over our toes. Therefore, because I'm straining toward this, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. And I, I just wrote down in my notes, in my heart, the sure sign of immaturity is, an, is a person who is unwilling to change. The sure sign, according to Paul, the person who has com- completely failed to constrain himself or to strain himself toward the reality of the gospel and the move of, of God in the presence of the spiritual realm is this. I am contented where I am at. I am unbending and unmoving. And Paul's just saying, that's anything but the move of God in Christ. He's going to tell you why he is critically impassioned for the people of God to say, we will unbend only in the cross of Jesus. We're unbending there, but in every other realm, God, move and spark in our minds and renew our minds by the washing of them for the word of God. God, not by what we have once experienced in the past because I don't live there. Read the scripture. I do not look backward. I look forward to what God is doing in Christ. And I greatly fear with multiple conversations that I've had with church folks, including us church folks, is that we lean on something that God did in the past and that is fundamentally antithetical to everything Paul is saying right here. He's saying, I don't look back there. Those were good moments, but that is not this moment. I am asking God to do something new, rich, and profound right now, today. And he probably will not do that today like he did back there. And I'm not even looking back there, so why does that matter? That is greatly convicting for most of us in this room, including myself. Because I look back at moments and I think, God, if we would just do that, if we would just sing that, if just we would just be that, and the Lord's going, no, no, if you would renew your mind in the fullness of who I am, do not conform yourself any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How, Lord? I want to pursue this by the renewing of your mind. As you focus in on the heart of Scripture, you will begin to understand who I am and what my will is. I don't want to jump forward, but what Paul is saying is, the way will of God is this, that I am agonizing in verses 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 as a citizen of heaven of those who are around me who don't yet know Jesus. And I am deeply burdened and impassioned by this. So Lord, whatever it takes, move for the sake of your kingdom. And if that means, Lord, that I am sitting in this prison cell, leave me here if your church is going to be built as a result. And I don't know that we can answer this as we sit in padded chairs in a building that we've built... ...that we can even conjecture toward this in a New Testament view of the church... ...which I just started processing the church and its movement up to this point. I mean this church started with a group of ladies praying outside a gate... This church has continued inside a prison cell. It was birthed out of a young kid who was was constrained by the demonic but no more. And so they built the church here. And I think we confuse the movement of God with a physical place and a physical building and what we have done and where we have been. And we lose sight of the fact that Paul, while he rejoiced in the church at Philippi and the move of God there, he moves on down three verses later and is agonizing for the lost. And I believe this fellowship would greatly mature if we would agonize greatly for the lost... And we would say, Holy Spirit, how do you want to mature us in seeing where you are at work? And these are the questions we should be asking. God, how do we join you at work? How do we penetrate Mandarin with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do we mobilize so that we are sharing your story? How do we most creatively present you to others so that we are presenting the fullness of the cross of Jesus Christ? How do we do this so that others can know what we have experienced? How do we share the message of the gospel? When that's the prevailing question. Five years ago, I sat in a room and I shared with this fellowship and there was a lot of questions about a lot of things and I just simply said, I think in some ways we're asking the wrong questions. The right questions are centered around the cross of Christ. The gospel of Jesus the power of the resurrection, the straining among believers for the sake of the gospel, the willingness to change our mind, the glory of the cross, the wonder of salvation, and mobilizing for the sake of that. He says in Scripture, so that we can kind of dive back into Scripture and some of you can become less offended. He says in Scripture, he says, Paul wrote to Ephesus telling husbands to love their wives. It says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In order to make her holy by cleaning her with the washing of the water by the word. So he could do this, present the church himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. We are the new community of faith. We are the bride of Jesus. And what he's saying in this passage is, therefore let us think those who are mature think this way, and if you don't, ask God, reveal this also to you. We are sitting among one another and we are washing each other with the Word of God. Washing brings purpose. When the Word of God is the central element of what we are about, when the when the body of Christ is centered around Scripture, it brings purpose, it brings purity to the body, it renews our minds. We, here, here's, here's, I just wrote this down. It's often cluttered with feelings, thoughts, beliefs, and struggles that we have. And when we begin to center in the heart of Scripture, as God renews our mind, here's what we become fascinated with. Are you ready? Jesus. When He begins to renew our minds and fix us back on Him, we begin fascinated with the cross. We become fascinated with 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 people who don't yet know Him. We become fascinated with celebrating with the Word, crossing back and forth with one another with the truths of Scripture. Conversations permeate this place that are centered around the truth of Christ and His Word. And we are washing each other day in and day out. And here's what begins to happen is we do wrestle with things and we do challenge systems and we do talk about things and we're sitting with one another. and Can you picture this? Because I want you to know the early church wrestled with very, weighty issues they wrestled with goodness i I have they it's gonna be nothing they wrestle with circumcision and things like that like big deal things you can't I don't know if you can say that you know it is a scientific term it's just feeling really awkward right now but they were They were like talking about these issues that had been prevailing for them in their faith. And they came together and and said, okay, so what's Jesus saying to us? How do we approach this right now? Because this is centered to us. And there's the question. Here's the question they ask. Is it central to the gospel? Is it central to salvation today? Is it central to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Or is this a tradition that we can let go of? And those who are mature... Begin to say, what is central? Is the cross central? Is the gospel central? How do we share that gospel? If that becomes the prevailing, word-washing, Christ-glorifying story, then it will be beautiful for the sake of Mandarin. St. John's. Clay. The Nations. As God renews our mind, we return to a fascination with him. Mandarin is a place that's got to be centered on Jesus, his work, or else emptiness, and traditions of men is our certitude, and we are not alone in that. Regardless of, of any other thing, Jesus is the story. I, I just wrote, imagine, imagine this room, listen, let's just, just run with me. Imagine this room cleansed of all debris except the cross of Jesus. Just pause there. Go with your conversations for the last three hours. This isn't like a throw stones. I'm very happy with what God is doing here if you're a guest. He's moving in spirit and in power and we're loving it. I'm just now teaching scripture and where we're at in verse 15. So imagine that though. Imagine every conversation for the last three hours as we gathered that were cleared of debris and the cross was the central story. What would that do with your travel to church? What would it do with your group life? How would it shape our student ministry as they gather in the chapel? Imagine our first step being love. Our first action is to bless others. Our first thought is others. Our first response is to measure every thought and tradition we have against the truth of the gospel. Imagine that. Imagine just saying, Lord, we bring the joy of our creativity to this. This is a body of believers who are made up of people manifest and manifold in the gifts of the Spirit. So we're going to bring our creativity to this endeavor. We're going to amplify the cross in the middle of this room. We're going to say, how do we magnify that? And that will be the journey that we go on together. And God, as we mature, we will learn more and more from you how to think this way. And if we think differently about anything, reveal this to us also. Lord, just move in our spirit and in power. Imagine this, our agony prevailing for the gospel. Mom, I just thought of your mom and just my granny. And I've told this story three or four times, so I'll tell the very brief version. But she, um, they grew up in Drayton, South Carolina, a little mill village. And um, I love my granny at the end of her life. And again, you've heard this story, so short version, short She just struggled because her church was in decline and it was a place that was thriving at one point and it remains in decline. And my granny's response was this. We need to get some people together. We need to bake a cake. We need to talk. And we need to figure out how to be mature and penetrate this community with the sake of the gospel. She was an 80-something-year-old lady that just said, so all of us that are silver-haired and I'm in that crowd, let's bake cakes, elevate the gospel, Talk about what's around us and ask how we can penetrate it with the hope of Jesus. And let that be the maturity of our minds. Let that be the maturity of the body of believers who are saying, Lord, and if we're thinking about anything else, watch that. Bring us to the central story and the hope of the gospel. This is, this is really what Paul's saying to the church at Philippi. And in any case, in verse 16, dog on it. We should live up to whatever truth we've attained. I'll end here. We live who we are in Christ. So my first thought was this. We're committed to change. You should write that down and then over it. We expect it. And the second thought he gives in verse 16 is, you know, in any case, as we do this, we should live to the truth we already have attained. Like, like we've heard a lot of stuff. I've, I've been a follower of Jesus for um, 43 years now. I've heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of truth. So that, what, you know what that means? That's a stewardship for me. There is a lot of truth that I now carry as a stewardship before the Lord. And I have to hold that out to him and say, how am I managing this truth that you have spoken to me? God, how do I gather up around this truth and celebrate who you are and what it means to be a part of what you're about? How do I do this? I I see an answer for this in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. I will try to be very quick with this. But he says this, I want you to know, and he's talking to a church who wasn't quite living to the level they attained, a lost sight of who they are. And he said, here is a recipe or a prerequisite or a walking out steps of me with you. He says, here's what you do. I have, I have this against you. You've abandoned your love. You had it first. So do three things. Remember how far you've fallen. Repent. And repeat what you've been doing first. I just I thought, that's so simple, Lord. Okay, so there's there's truth. Here's, okay, here's Paul. Here's me. Here's you. We're at the table with Jesus. And we've been fully transparent with him. We're not there yet. I mean, for me personally, I would probably say... Um, I'm very open-minded about how to most effectively reach 40-year-olds to 60-year-olds. And I probably would watch Matt and what he's doing to step into the lives of 16-year-olds and go, oh, that's just fluff. I'm not there yet. What I want to be able to do is to cheer on every generation and say whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel. Lord, teach me to walk in this manner. I I don't want to lose sight of the agony for the lost. And so what do I do when I lose sight that God, you are the central story. This is who you are. I I come and, and I say, God, I want to go back to a point in time and remember when you were working in spirit and in power. I I wrote down some thoughts. These are not comprehensive. You can write down your own thoughts. I I just wrote down, I remember, Dad, growing up in a church that was fueled with passion. I remember as a small child longing for more of Jesus, not solely because my dad preached a pretty good message or we had pretty good singing. I remember because hundreds of people would be in an altar and they would be crying out to God. And as a nine-year-old boy, it didn't make sense to me. But what did make sense is I wanted what they had. And that was powerful for me. And I go back and I think in my early developmental days with Christ, I remember people who agonized for the lost. I can start naming names like Bob Miller and Jim Medlin. I could keep going on for a while about people who would not not only agonize for the lost, but they would get out and do crazy things to reach the lost. That's the church I grew up in. What church are your kids growing up in? Yeah, I know, Like, but what are they going to tell in days ahead? How did we agonize for the lost? What creativity did we bring to the table to say, Lord, whatever, if we're going to have to spin pigs right after church, because that happened, North Carolina barbecue for the sake of Jesus. Amen. If that's that's what we're going to do, this is going to be awesome. I remember friends over and over who told me and taught me how to grow and mature in the faith, and I'm about five years away from one of them now, when they just looked at me and said, all I have is two suitcases and Jesus, and that's more than enough, goodbye just seniors who taught me how to mature for the faith. I remember sitting in the middle of the night in Central Asia with a small house church and they were just sitting in and they would sit from about 10.30 at night when you would back in, shut off all the lights and just gather together and I sat with a group of a house church people that were meeting and they were hungry for scripture and they tore pages out, passed it around to one another and said, let the word of Christ dwell here. And they wash one another in the word. And that's, to me, that was the epitome of the New Testament church and a snapshot of what a church in Jacksonville would look like as well. I look back and I think and remember and go, Lord, I remember standing dozens, hundreds of times in baptismal waters and just thinking of the transformational beauty of of our God. I remember the clear call of God to stand with this church and join hands and run with you as my friends toward heaven. And In every way, not wanting to uh, uproot five years ago, multiple teenagers and pull them here. And yet, I remember standing and looking at faces and the clarion call of God. And I was just singing this morning and thinking, God, I'm so grateful for your grace and your glory. I'm grateful for what we have seen and I'm grateful for what we have not yet seen. And I love you, Jesus. And after we remember, we just turn and say, God, we want to return to the point of departure. I closed with this statement, these questions. He says, remember and then repent. Was there a point where you believed bigger things or more beautiful things about God than you do now? God, I want to live to the level that I've attained in you. If there are moments when... You were reflecting back on better things than you are now. Repent, for the kingdom of Christ is near. Was there a point when you felt an intimacy with God that you don't currently experience? This is not meant to persecute or to guilt you. It's just meant to say, repent, for the kingdom of God is near and our God longs for intimacy with you. Was there a point when God was using you prolifically, but at this point you have sidelined yourself, you're taking a break, and you are doing your gig? Repent. Because your life is a mist, and there is not a second to waste. And the kingdom of Christ is near. Was there a conviction that was born in your soul, and you know, the Spirit of God said, stop or go another way, and you have not. It's beautiful. Repent. Turn towards Jesus, for the kingdom of God is near. Is there a mess in your life that you have fundamentally hidden away from all of your friends and all the others, and you are doing well with your dung? That's what Paul described in the third chapter. Oh, it would be so beautiful should you repent and hand it back to the living God. And say, God, I want and I long to live to the level that I've attained in you. Is there a point where you chose your traditions over a clear movement of God? Where you said, I would rather be comfortable with what I've done than be convicted about the agony for the lost. If so, repent. For the kingdom of God is near. Do what you did at first, Scripture says. I love this because it's so practical. So what do I do that I did at first? Well, the early church did this. They devoted themselves to the Word. They were fully committed to one another. They expressed that to one another. They were united in prayer. They were united in unity. They were passionate and convicted about being rich toward God. They worshipped with abandon. The Word of Christ dwelled among them. They devoted themselves to the Gospel. Daily people were being saved. And they grieved when this was not happening. And it just became this glorious movement of God. And look, he said you should do these things. You should remember the days of the goodness of the Lord reflect upon them thank God for them look at where you are and say to the Lord Lord I have answered those questions that the pastor threw out there are some things that I need to live toward that I have attained and yet set aside oh God I want to walk back into the fullness of who you are for me because God I believe you are doing something glorious in the land of the living and I want in on that I want the cross of Jesus to stand. And God, I, here's what I ultimately believe. I believe that in all of this, in all of this scripture, in all of this truth, that you are with me. And I feel pretty crippled right now. That's how I felt the whole time I prepared. I feel very crippled right now in how to run this out and how to finish this. And here's what I love about our God. He is just simply coming up to my heart as your pastor. And he sits down beside you in your chair as your redeemer and savior. And he is putting his arm around you. And he is whispering in your ear, we can do this together. Let's run the race that is set before you. Let's persevere. For the sake of the cross of Christ, let us not grow faint or weary, but let us do good and give glory for as long as we live. And let us boast in the cross of Jesus. Father, I praise you for who you are and whose we are. God, I praise you for what has brought us to this day. And I praise you for Paul, that we are not centered solely in this day. But God, we, we're glancing backward, but looking forward into this day and days ahead for the sake of your name, Lord. For the glory of your goodness, Lord. God, I pray that there will be freedom in Jesus that would just move across this room. God, I pray that there would be chains that drop and inabilities that drop and weaknesses that drop as we hear the Whisper of the Divine. I'm with you. I'll run this with you. Let's finish this together. God, ultimately, in this moment, I pray for Acts twenty twenty four, for every one of us in this room. That we will have finished our race. That we will have completed the tasks. That we will have amplified Jesus' And that we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will gain a crown of righteousness. We look forward to that and come directly back to this day. And we ask you, Jesus, move in us.